Welcome back, my fellow creatives. We're here on You've Got Five Pages to Tell Me It's Good to see if a new release at my local library can indeed, in five pages, tell me it's good. And I, I have, I, I just got back from the library, actually, and I really wanted to share this. And I, I don't know this author, and I, I wasn't sure what this premise was at first, but I'm so excited. I, I'm hoping my own expectations don't mar what the actual reading experience is here. <clears throat> okay, so the title is Killers of a Certain Age. And I do like how there's an instant New York Times bestseller! Exclamation point. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, there, there, there's something just very 1950s spinning newspaper headline about that. Um, the author is Deanna Rayborn. I do not know Deanna Rayborn's uh, publishing history. I'm guessing she's got some level of st uh, street cred. But when I first saw this title, Killers of a Certain Age, and there is a female hand outlined in red with a string of white pearls holding a butcher knife, and then there's the tagline, it's kill or be killed, but they've been at this a long time. I was initially worried, like, oh, we're going to be dealing with child-trained killers getting ready to deal with a current threat or some such thing. No! I open up the dust jacket. Older women often feel invisible, but sometimes that's their secret weapon. They've spent their lives as the deadliest assassins in a clandestine international organization. But now that they're 60 years old, four female friends can't just retire. It's kill or be killed. And I just, <laughs> it felt like, is this going to be uh, Kill Bill mixed with arsenic and old lace? What are we dealing with? But I just, when I saw that, I'm like, okay, no. There's another movie, too, where the, uh, that is uh, similar to this idea. Uh, there's the, um, oh, what year did it come out? Was it early 80s? The movie Sea Wolves. Uh, I know Roger Moore and Gregory Pecker in it, but they recruit um, a number of old war vets to tackle a current threat. So it's a bunch of just old men whom you're expecting to see at the nursing home, but here they are taking down people a third their age. <laughs> um, same thing with uh, a Michael Caine movie uh, called Harry Brown, where he was like a formal special forces op, and now he is an older man, just a newly widowed, um, really down, and his neighborhood has been just taken on by uh, like a a meth drug ring and he takes them down single-handed <laughs> so it just it, it's I'm, I'm really excited sort of like when i when i found the um i have that on another episode it was the second book to that thursday murder club series uh osmond is the author and i just was so happy to be reading about older protagonists well you know it gives me something to aspire to uh but reading about older protagonists who have the skills and are able to put their life knowledge to use in new ways so i'm excited of with this book killers of a certain age we could be dealing with some really unique um situations be 
because of their age, yes, but also um, some, really, some really unique situations because of what society commonly perceives of women their age, you know, uh, assumptions made and such. Um, so I'm kind of hoping this just doesn't end up being like a, a hopefully this isn't a, like a more violent version of murder she wrote i'm i'm really hoping that there is a little more to it um i mean if it's kill bill <laughs> mixed with murder she wrote oh my goodness wouldn't that be amazing okay i'm i'm done clearly i really like quentin tarantino movies okay and i'm just glancing now at deanna rayborn's publishing list here quite a degree of mystery work. Okay, so I really should know this person. That's what I get for only reading Agatha Christie for so long. All right, let's dive into Killers of a Certain Age. If I could get to the first page here. There we go. Chapter one. So no prologue. That's automatically a gold star right there. Okay. Chapter one. November 1979. My mother always says it's common as pig tracks to go around with a run in your stocking, Helen says, eyeing Billy's ripped hosiery critically. Billy rolls her eyes. Helen, it's murder, not cotillion. It's not murder, Helen corrects. It's an assassination, and you can make an effort to look nice. I already love this book. Okay. Besides, they're supposed to believe we're stewardesses, and no stewardess would be caught dead with torn pantyhose. Helen makes an excellent point. Helen brandishes a familiar plastic egg. I brought spares. Please go change while you still have time. I'll start the coffee. The run is so tiny, only Helen would have noticed it. Billy opens her mouth to argue and closes it again when she sees the tightness around Helen's lips. Helen is nervous, and that means her eye for detail is hyper-focused, searching out things to worry about. Better for her to fuss about snagged pantyhose than any of the other thousand things that could go wrong on their first mission, Billy decides. Mary Alice is on coffee detail. You go check on Nat. Billy says, plucking the egg from Helen's hand. She pops into the lavatory just long enough to strip off her ruined hose and shimmy into a fresh pair, emerging to hear the conversation from the cockpit. Movies again, of course. When Gilchrist and Sweeney aren't debating the odds of getting Goldie Hawn into bed, they are trying to stump each other with film quotes. A deer has to be taken with one shot. I try to tell people that, but they don't listen. The pilot waits while his co-pilot pauses the pre-flight check, screwing up his eyes in thought. Monty Python and the Holy Grail? He guesses. The pilot rolls his eyes. Jesus, Sweeney, no, it's not Monty Python. Did that sound funny to you? And he has a very good point, too. It didn't sound funny at all. Okay. Sweeney shrugs. It could be. The co-pilot jerks his head towards the galley. Skirt, he calls. Billy steps into the doorway of the cockpit. Yes, Sweeney, she asks. 
He pulls his mouth to the side, doing his best Bogart as he looks her up and down. I am not going to attempt a Bogart impression. She missed being beautiful by just a hair, but the voice more than made up for it. It was low and smoky, the sort of voice that ordered whiskey neat and told the bartender to keep the change. I don't remember that in the Maltese Falcon, she says. His expression is outraged. It's original! Come on, I make a great Sam Spade. Don't quit your day job. What did you ring for? Sweeney repeats the quote. What movie is it from? Vance just threw that one out and acted like I'd punched his grandmother when I didn't know it. Well, the deer hunter, she tells Sweeney. She points out, she points to the pilot, and his next line will be from The Godfather. The pilot grins. How do you know that? Every other one of your quotes is from The Godmother. <laughs> Godmother. Every other one of your quotes is from The Godfather, she says. She pauses and the pilot gives her an assessing look. She is perfectly turned out, from the crisp, uncreased uniform to the smooth, dark, blonde hair tucked into a French pleat. Her hands don't shake and her eyes don't dart around, but she is nervous or excited. Something is thrumming under her skin. He can almost smell it, and it is his job to settle her down. Well, that could be taken in all sorts of ways. You got this, Billy, he says in a low voice. You and the others are good, or they wouldn't have given you the job. She smiles. Thanks, Gilchrist. He shrugs. I've given you a lot of shit in training, but the four of you are all right. Provided you make it through tonight, he adds with a heartless grin. Well, that's comforting, she tells him as Sweeney laughs. Just remember the mission and you'll be fine, Gilchrist assures her. Sweeney and I will be keeping the birds steady, so you girls are on your own back there unless something goes seriously to shit. His expression says it better not, and she promises herself that she'd sooner open a vein with a paperclip than ask him for help. Okay. Pause for just a moment. Um, and, I, and I apologize if my asides got too low to understand, but no, this is very much a pleasurable read. I want to say that from the outset. I, I'm going to be recommending this regardless of how the next page or two goes um but i appreciate that we aren't being simply told what's happening we are in the moment and we as readers do have to work at picking things up as we go we have to catch the clues because rayborn's giving us the clues you know, the the concept of, um, and I, I should clarify, like in the beginning, Helen does clearly say it's an assassination. So we, we know at the outset we are dealing with killers. Okay. But we don't know really until now that the pilots are in on this too. Because at first it could be perceived as just being new as a stewardess but by the bottom of the page we have a better sense that no these two are involved as well and if nothing else by um the 
want to make sure I'm picking the right person here. Billy, um, when Billy decides she'd rather uh, open a vein with a paperclip than ask the pilot for help. If this, if these were pilots ignorant of the situation and just, well, we've got new stewardesses, if they were just typical pilots, Billy wouldn't be thinking that way. Billy wouldn't be so concerned as to ask them for help. So clearly, um, we have here two pilots that are in on it. Um, we have a team of stewardesses who have a job to do. And through this movie line dialogue, we also are getting a sense of their personalities, like Billy picking up on how every other line one pilot uses to quiz the other comes from a specific film. She picked up that pattern, which means she's pretty darn observant considering she wasn't directly involved in this conversation. Um, and the fact that one pilot is quick to just throw some uh, an idea out rather than actually think it through says something about their personality as well. Um, so again, by using an actual scene and putting the characters to work in that scene in a way that fits them, the way their personalities would dictate. Rayborn is successfully, you know, engaging us as readers and also showing as a writer that when you just have the characters do what their personalities, what their goals would motivate them to do, readers are going to be picking up on major cues and major concepts without you having to spell it out for them. Though I still think the whole, it's an assassination! I just, I, I have to have the Midwestern accent in there. I just, I feel like this lady is going to a potluck after the job is done. Okay, back to the story here. Got it, she tells him. She watches him for a second as his hands move over the switches and levers, working through the pre-flight check. He is at ease, loose as an athlete who has trained and drilled until there is nothing left but the big game. Sweeney draws her attention by giving her a nudge. Tell the brunette I want a drink when this is all over. You know the rules. No fraternizing, Gilchrist reminds him. Sweeney makes a noise like a wounded puppy. Easy for you to say, you've got Anthea. He drags the name out on three syllables. Anthea, he repeats. I, I'm not going to be able to get the country club drawl, but I'm sure you can understand. You got a steady girl? Good for you, Billy says to the pilot. He pulls down the visor to show a small snapshot of a girl with a dark flip like Jackie O's, a serious expression in her wide eyes. Pretty, Billy says. And rich, Sweeney adds in a sulky tone. What's your problem, Sweeney? She asks. Well, I'm jealous, of course. He's got a rich, pretty debutante, and all I've got is a stiffy for the little brunette with the curly hair out there. The little brunette has a name. Billy tells him. Natalie, the future Mrs. Charles McSween, Sweeney says solemnly, at least for this weekend. He raises a warning hand. And don't tell me it's forbidden. That just makes it more exciting. It's like they're daring me to take her out. 
Billy looks from one to the other. I'm surprised neither of you is chasing Helen, she says. She's the prettiest of us. They both shrug. Pretty yes, Gilchrist admits. Beautiful even, but she's what we Canadians call a Winnipeg winter. A Winnipeg winter? Great natural beauty, but capable of freezing your dick off if you're stupid enough to get naked, Sweeney explains. He surveys Billy with a practiced eye. Of course, you would just... Billy holds up a hand. Never mind. I don't want to know. Coffee is brewing. I'll have Mary Alice bring you some. Mary Alice is pouring two fresh cups when Billy enters the galley. The air smells of burnt coffee, and Mary Alice gives her an apologetic look. I spilled some on the burner. Billy waves a hand. Who cares? She reaches for the foil-wrapped package of mixed nuts and sticks it into the warming drawer. Mary Alice nods towards the cockpit. How are our fearless leaders? Quoting films and trying to decide which one of us they get to take home for the weekend. Mary Alice pulls a face. God, I hate them. Billy lifts an eyebrow. They're not all bad. Vance Kilchrist just gave me a vote of confidence and a little pep talk for the evening's adventure. Mary Alice snorts. Only because he's in charge, and if we screw up, it's on his head. Probably, Billy agrees. She reaches out and straightens Mary Alice's name tag. It is printed with the name Margaret Ann. Her own name tag reads Bridget. Always choose an alias with your own initials, their mentor has told them. At some point, you will be tired or distracted or simply human, and you will start to write or say your real name instead of your alias. It is far easier to correct your mistake without arousing suspicions if you have at least begun with the proper letter. Also, it means never having to change your monogram. Remember, ladies, your lives are lies now, but the fewer you tell, the simpler it is to keep them straight. And I'm going to stop there. That's, and, and again, that's just a little, that single paragraph about what the mentor said. That's in italics. And I appreciate that little bit. It's not really a flashback because we're not seeing anything. We have to imagine hearing the mentor say this. Um, it's just a few sentences, but it's enough for us to further understand that, um, these women, it's not just Anastasia with a potluck. You know, it's not just that. This is a serious profession they have entered. And this is going to have serious consequences if they can't keep it straight. I mean, as they say, and I, I, I like this, this phrase says a lot. Remember, ladies, your lives are lies now. That encompasses what they are doing for who knows how long, because we have to stop, because I'm pretty much out of time here. But, I mean, it speaks to, for those of us, you know, who struggle with even just trying to, like, even trying to cover up for a little white lie, to understand that your entire life has to be a lie now. It's... That's a pretty huge weight that we now see upon these women while they're making their coffee and just rolling their eyes at the men calling for a skirt. But they, they have just as much at stake 
as those pilots, if not more, because it's their first mission. So I'm excited because if this is how they are when they're younger, I can't wait to see what they're like when they're older. It's going to be exciting. I'm going to keep reading this. I hope you're able to spot it in your library too. And I think next week I saw what might actually be a fantasy since my library seems to only either get thrillers or westerns as we've lamented before. Um, it looks like this time there's a fantasy there. So I'll see if I can snatch it. Uh, so until then, read on, share on, and write on, my friends. Cheers.